Let me bring in our hypnotist, Marshall Silver. It's uh, Marshall Silver, ladies and gentlemen, the world's fastest hypnotist. you feel the love tonight hey if kelsey can do it i can do it too hey welcome happy valentine's day everybody it is a very special show for so many reasons number one it is episode number three of marshall silver live and i'm so glad you're with me we have given away 40 ounces of pure silver 10 ounces at a time and today's no exception we're going to be giving away another 10 ounces of pure silver guaranteed to someone on this program who uh, calls into the show and chats with me during the second hour when we enter the vault. We've also got $6,000 cash up for grabs today. If you say the secret word, it is securely contained inside of the secret word box. So if you say the secret word today, you could win $6,000 cash, but that's not even the best part of the day. The best part of this day is that I have the opportunity to hang out with my very first guest, live guest right here on Marshall Silver Live, and I couldn't have selected a better person. I have admired this human being for years. He is not only a uh, top real estate investor in the country, he's probably the top teacher of real estate investment strategies in maybe the world. He is a remarkably kind human being. First time I met him, he picked me up in his billion dollar car. We went off to an extremely nice restaurant. I spent a lot of money at the restaurant, frankly, because I thought I was picking up the tab. And at the end of the meal, uh, he had to go use the restroom restroom and when he came back the tab was magically paid so all i can say is i like this guy and anybody who buys dinner for a multimillionaire is good in my book and guaranteed they're a multimillionaire too without any further ado i would like to welcome to the show our first live guest ever ever with great pride mr cody sperber the clever investor welcome to the program hey what's going on marshall I am so glad you are here. So glad you're our first guest. You are amazing. <laughs> that that was a fa fantastic introduction. And I, I I just want to add, I was so nervous that you were going to hypnotize me to pay that bill that on our first time hanging out, I wore that tinfoil hat. You remember? Just so you couldn't penetrate my brain. I, I did, but I penetrated it anyway. <laughs> That's how good you are. You're the best. Well, and, and you're that kind. You're that great. Hey, glad to see you, brother. Your, your setup there in your studio looks gorgeous. Yes, thank you. So I got to ask you a question. This is on a personal note. Um, I know you're wearing a hat right now. How's that working out? Yeah, so um, for everybody listening, I went to Turkey four months ago to get a hair transplant. And uh, I was nervous. You know, go, first off, I didn't need to go to Turkey. I can afford to get a hair transplant here. But I just they're, they're the best in the game at it. I grabbed my dad. We made a big vacation out of it. And I'm proud to say I'm four months in. You can see the uh, Whoa, the hair dude. is coming in nicely. Wow! Isn't that great? Wow! You look amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it it works. You know, and if you do a hair transplant, know a couple of things. One, 
It is painful. Kind of hurt like hell. Yeah, it is painful. Yes. Pain, you know, um, the process is a, it was about nine hours, eight, eight, nine hours. Takes about a month for your head to denumb and get back to normal. And it takes about six months for your hair to actually start to grow in and one year for it to be full head of hair. So that's where I'm at. I'm four months in and I'm feeling good about it. So, because it is painful, I know that. I've never had a hair transplant. I've had a lot of buddies that have. Uh, they all told me the same thing that for like the first month when they were in pain, they were cursing themselves. What the hell did I do? Why did I do that? Well, you know what it is, is it's um, it's like your nerves are regenerating. So it almost feels like your skull is on fire. It's like fire spots, hot spots and like nerve damage almost uh, for about a month. It was pretty brutal. And and for the first two weeks, you got to sleep sitting up. So you're really not sleeping that much. And you use like a travel pillow because your head can never touch anything uh, right. for a little while. But other than that, I'm very happy I did it. You know, it's I, I'm on video a lot. I was self-conscious about it. You know, it was my hair. My, I was, I wasn't bald. I was receding. And so for me, you know, money solves a lot of challenges in your life. And one of the things I wanted, I wanted a new, I wanted hair. So, yeah. you know, when did That's it? a good key right there. What you just said, because we agree that money does solve most things. And, you know, when I looked at you, I was kind of shocked that you had gone and gotten a hair transplant only because uh, a fish doesn't know it's in water to a starving man. A carrot looks like a buffet. And I know where my head is and I know where your head was. And I said, why in the world would that guy ever get a transplant? He looks great. But you yeah. know what? Isn't that the case that it's always how we feel about ourselves? Yeah. And that's a large part of what I want to talk about today is you obviously have been a massively successful real estate investor. You've done literally thousands of deals right now. How many properties are you holding on to? Uh, we have about maybe 700 doors in our portfolio that we're holding on to two large apartment buildings, a bunch of luxury Airbnbs and a, a ton of like uh, just tiny little single family rentals in smaller markets. Uh, but what I'm really excited over, I've done thousands of deals, every type of deal under the sun. I've been doing it for over 20 years. I'm really focused on big commercial deals right now. That's where my future is. That's, I just purchased two banks. You'd be very proud of me, Marshall. I purchased two banks, uh, an old Wells Fargo and an old Bank of America. And we're working with the city to re, rezone, re-entitle the, the real estate parcels. So that way they could be used for something other than a bank, like a car wash or a gas station or coffee shops and stuff like that. And that's where the big money is. You know, when you make money in single family, it's a great way to get started. It's a great way to learn the language of real estate. It's, it's, it's not overwhelmingly scary. A lot of people can get in the game with very little resources. And most people take that path because commercial real estate seems big and scary and expensive and overwhelming. But the reality is it's actually, it's counterintuitive. It's easier to do a big deal than it is to do a small deal. It takes just as much energy to do a big deal than a small deal. And the friction in a big deal is less than the friction in a small deal. Isn't that ironic? It's just the way it is. But, you know, we allow our self-limiting beliefs or our, our fears to push us over into like something that's a little bit less scary, more comfortable. And I did that for many years. And if I was to give you one regret of my 20-year career in real estate was I wish I would have went for the big deals sooner. That, you know, that would be my one change. Other than that, I love every other moment, good and bad. But man, I'd be so much further along if I would have gotten into commercial 10, 15 years ago. Well, and I think you're a thousand percent right that, you know, the bigger the deals, there's less friction. And I'll tell you the reason 
It's because you're dealing with people that are used to doing bigger deals. You're also an educator. You're also in the seminar business. You're also, at least you were, and we'll talk about that more in a moment to see where you are on that front, but you were also a leading teacher of real estate investment strategies. And my experience has been, if, if a customer comes to me and they spend a thousand dollars and go to Turning Point, they'll, they'll be a certain way. If they invest $70,000 in my inner circle program, I don't get any grief from them. And I'll tell you why I don't get any grief from them is somebody that makes a decision at that level has already demonstrated a mm. substantial amount of personal responsibility. And that person has also demonstrated that they don't fall easily into victim roles. And unfortunately, people that, you know, go for the crumbs, and, and I'm not suggesting that everybody that does single family investing is, is grabbing for crumbs. They're not, because that in and of itself is a level of advancement in your career and in your abilities. But you're 100% right. If you're going to do a deal, my friend, Frank McKinney, uh, down in Florida, mm. I don't know if you know who Frank is. Oh, yeah. Frank builds these $100 million spec houses. And when somebody asked him, why in the world would you build a house that's $100 million with such a limited amount of people? He quoted Trump and he said, when you build the best property using the best materials on the best location, there is always a market. There's always somebody that wants the very best of something. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I tell people when they invest in my $70,000 program, like the distinction between uh, residential real estate and commercial real estate, the mere act of investing in a asset or yourself at that level makes you more committed. It makes you get stuff done. Now that said though, uh, I wanna also point out the higher the levels, the higher the devils. And while there is a release of a certain amount of grief in your life, there's an addition of other types of grief and you mentioned one of them and that was dealing with the city. So I wanna get a little bit of feedback from you as far as how you know, you looked at some properties, they happen to have banks on them. You said, gosh, that might be better with something else, maybe a car wash, anything. At the very least, let's acquire the properties and then let's deal with the city. How has your experience been in that portion of what you're doing? Because that's not just regular real estate investing. Now we're going back and we're saying we need to repurpose this piece of property. Mm -hmm. We need to go back in there and redefine what its use is. And, you know, me, uh, we are looking for a live production venue in San Diego. And that's the thing that no matter where we go, there's no such thing as what I'm looking for. So we've got to repurpose. We've got to work with the city and, and get them to understand all the benefits. Tell me some of the things that you might, you might say or present to a city or what is that process of getting a property redefined? Yeah. So first off, you, you, I learned through just starting with wanting to rehab a property or add an addition to a, a residential home, you got to go through a permitting process, right? So you get used to going down the city and filling out their paperwork and saying, okay, I want to add this thousand square foot addition onto the side of a, a, of a building or a house. And that process, they have a, they have a process for that, right? And once you learn it, it's not that scary. Well, in resident and commercial, it's a little different than residential. We're actually working with engineers, we're work, working with high level attorneys that are helping us put together all of the packaging and fill out all of the planning paperwork so we can go to the city like a preliminary review and say, hey, here's before we even enter into contract on this piece of real estate, here's what we're thinking we would like to do. Right. And it's like a preliminary review and, and there's other team members involved in that. So it's not like I'm sitting there trying to like figure all this out on my own. 
I'm just hiring the right power team members and saying, this is my goal. I would like to take this old bank building. If we can get it under contract or purchase it, I'd like to have one of maybe three options. Option one is I want to, I want it. Uh, the bank building has a hundred parking spots next to it. We don't need a hundred parking spots. Let's subdivide the lot to have a bank building and maybe a coffee shop and use up half the parking spots to do a little tiny drive-through coffee shop. And so option A might be uh, retrofit the bank building, fix it up, because these are older buildings, fix it up and put maybe a credit union in there or somebody else that can use that type of space, put some tenant improvements in there, put a tenant in there, typically a credit union, they're gonna be a high credit tenant worthy tenant. They're gonna pay a premium rent. So I can get some income coming in uh, while I'm working with the city to subdivide the parking lot out and then set once that's permitted for, say, let's say a coffee shop, I'll sell that piece off for, say, $2 million. Well, the bank cost me $2.5 million to buy. So if I sell this little portion of the land off for $2 million, and it takes about 12 to 14 months to do this, I basically almost paid off my bank and now I have 30, 40 grand a month in cash flow coming in. Yep. And see, the commercial real estate game is really interesting. That might be option A is keep the bank a bank, but split off some of the unused parking lot. The other option is delete the bank, like uh, demo it, and put one giant car wash on the parcel. And option three might be delete the bank, still subdivide it, and put uh, a something a, a, a Chipotle here and a, a, a coffee shop here. So we have three options and I go to the attorneys. I say in the engineers, this is what I want to do. They put all the plans together. They go down to the city with us. We have commercial real estate agents involved. Like there's a team and I'm just the guy saying, here's like three ideas. Let's see what the city would go for. And then we go to the city and they come back and they say, we don't want to do this, but we'll do this. So go ahead and build the rest of it out. And that entitlement process takes about 12 to 18 months, depending on the piece of land. And on the back end of it, like I said, is I buy the bank for two and a half million. I'm essentially turning it into about $5 million worth of value by the time I'm all done. So if, by the time I pay like private lenders or uh, a lot of times we have to raise money to get into these deals because I'm doing multiple projects at once. I can't afford to do all of them just paying cash on my own. So we raise capital and we have a lot of accredited investors and, and financial friends that get involved in these. I got to give them a return. I got to get them their money back. But by this, by the time it's all said and done, 18 months later, let's say I have 2 million bucks to split between all the partners and the lenders. I would spend the same 14 to 18 months doing a spec build on a $3 million house in Scottsdale, Arizona but I would only make between 200,000 to 500,000 on that profit or 2 million over here. I'd stress out every day worrying, is interest rates going to go up? Is the market going to turn on me? Are the buyers going to be there? And everybody's picky. Yeah, I don't really like what you did with the kitchen. You know, they're like nitpicky. Right. Chipotle knows they want this location because there's a hundred thousand cars that go by and we'll pay a premium for it. And, and they'll make the building look however they need to make it look. And that was the big aha moment for me. Once I yeah. did my first big commercial deal, I was like, oh, I get it now. This is where the big money is. It's way better. And let's say I end up doing exactly what my main plan is, which is to turn the bank into a different type of financial institution and subdivide out the parking lot. I'll end up keeping and owning that bank. We'll do something called a cost segregation study on that piece of real estate. The 
the IRS tax code says that you can take a commercial building and over 39 years, write it off for use, wear and tear. So if I pay two and a half million for the bank, I can write off two and a half million over 39 years. Well, with the cost segregation study, I can accelerate that depreciation to the first few years. So a guy like me, if I make $10 million in all my businesses and I'm being paid 10 million personally, I'm gonna owe like 4 million in taxes. But if I buy the right commercial real estate, do the right type of cost segregation study, I can write off my $10 million or my $4 million worth of taxes and pay no taxes. So when you hear guys like Donald Trump saying, I don't pay taxes, I'm smart. I use the tax code to my advantage. Every wealthy person uses real estate in those types of tax efficient investments to write off their earned income. And once I got that game, I was like, oh man, for the first 15 years, I was just making earned income like a dummy and paying 40, 50% in taxes. And then one day I started buying commercial and I stopped paying taxes. Now I'm going twice as fast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, a couple of things reminds me of just helping people put their ducks in a proper order. I am in the bunker at my beach house right now, down in Carlsbad. As you know, I live full-time in Las Vegas. The distinction though, if I live full-time at my beach house, which frankly, I prefer the view here, you know, the view of the ocean crashing, the waves crashing versus birds dying of heat exhaustion. There's no exception. But uh, because I live in Las Vegas and I don't pay state income tax, let's imagine it's easy math just for easy, uh, uh, easy addition. If I make $10 million a year, my tax bracket in California is 13%, which means I pay $1.3 million to California for what? For the luxury of saying I live in California? For the convenience of, of being here, it, it, you know, if I ask you, hey, I, I'd like to put $1.3 million in your pocket, you got to live six months and a week in Texas, Florida, or Nevada. Uh, except all you got to do is live there six months and a week and keep that money in your pocket. You could pay for your mortgage in Nevada, as the example goes, pay for the mortgage in California, and then have enough money left over to fly in a private jet back and forth between the two destinations. So, you know, yeah, I, just you just something, Marshall, I, just, I just saw some uh, article. Maybe you guys could look it up. Jeff Bezos is moving to Miami. He saved like seven hundred million dollars in taxes from that. one. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. Yeah. And again, in due respect, that, that obviously is personal taxes and, yeah. and a big duh on, on my part. I saw Ed Milet obviously just moved to Florida. Tony Robbins just moved to Florida. Uh, again, I've been living in Nevada since my infomercial hit in 1994 and I made $22 million in the first year. And again, $22 million at 13%, you figure that's, uh, that's two and a half, that's almost 3 million bucks mm-hmm. just to move to Nevada. And again, in due respect, Florida, Nevada, Texas, it's quality of life. So I guess my point is why the hell are you living in Arizona? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's home. It's home. I'm, I'm almost out, though. You know, uh, we can get personal if you'd like. So, you know, I yeah. was I was I was married in a relationship for 18 years. I got a divorce last year at the same time. My my mother. Un- but you and your ex are extremely cordial. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. But we yeah. went we went through a divorce last year. We've been separated for about two years and we, we divorced last year. And my mom passed away a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, I made a commitment that I was going to stay here in Arizona until the kids get out of high school. That's why I was here. Her family was here. My kids were growing up here. And we're, we, I, I've been wanting to move for a while now. But I love Arizona. To be honest with you, it's a great state. Uh, 
as long as California doesn't become Arizona, it's a great state, you know, because that's kind of what's happening. You know, things are changing here, but yeah, what can I say? as long as Arizona doesn't become California. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you know, it's very much the same. Whenever there's an earthquake or some setback in California, all the Californians, you know, ship off to Arizona or Nevada or Utah. And then when, you know, things kind of settle in, well, the fact of the matter is that's why I don't live in California full time. Yeah. Is that but, I, but I don't pay taxes. So look, there. if you live in a high interest state, you can still wipe out all your taxes. You just got to play yes. the money game to win. And that's that. I think that's really what I should have said um, is doesn't matter to me where I live. Year I don't year. need to move, move to Puerto Rico to save some money on taxes and be stuck on an island somewhere with a hurricane beating me over the head every few months. <laughs> I you make it I, so attractive. I figured out the the hustle in the game is just the government is yelling at you. They're telling you this is what we want. We want affordable housing. We want you to invest in long term assets yep. and build up the infrastructure, like keep the real estate infrastructure strong in America. And the way they tell you is they give you tax benefits for it. And once I started surrounding myself, that's that probably that's the other lesson in here. I didn't know these things. I grew up poor. I did not know what successful people looked like, thought like, acted like, what they listened to, who they hung out with, how they learned these things. I had to cut a check to get into a mastermind to get around other successful people. So that way I can rub shoulders with the Marshall silver and go like, why do you live in Nevada? Like, how do you avoid paying tax? How did you get a private jet? How'd you make $22 million in a single year? Like I've never done that. How did you do that? And just through that proximity and being exposed to like a new way of thinking, I started to go, wow, all the things I thought about money were wrong. All the things I thought about like my lens on life and how I reacted to things and how I dealt with challenges. Like now the Cody today loves problems. Like bring on the biggest, baddest mofo problem that you can. Like I know on the other end of that is growth, is money, is significance, is all the things I desire. And and, and that challenge and that pain and that pressure brings the growth and brings everything else. And I want that. I don't want little problems anymore. I want big problems in my life. And that's only through hanging out with guys like you did I start to change my psychology just by one degree. This is why I bring you on all my stuff. Every time I throw an event, I bring Marshall out so he can do his thing with the audience because it's like just a one degree mindset shift. Once that happens, you can't go back. I can't go back to 19, 20 year old Cody that was had a broken relationship with money. You know, and yeah, a mind once expanded cannot contract a wallet once expanded cannot contract that once you are shown these strategies, you get it. So I just want to point out one more thing. Again, you know, you said it. uh, Jeff Bezos doesn't need to move to Florida. He just doesn't. So, you know, that's a nice story and it looks good. And he's saving, you know, taxes on six or seven hundred million dollars in personal income. Uh, Amazon already doesn't pay any taxes. Apple already doesn't pay any taxes. Apple has a couple hundred million dollars sitting over in Ireland that they cannot bring back to the United States because the moment they bring it back, it gets taxed. And so Apple just says, screw that. Just let it sit over there. But, you know, again, back to where people want to live. There are ways to structure whatever you want to structure. The reason I live in Vegas, it's got the same climate as Arizona and as Phoenix. And though we right off the bat don't have that state tax. So all the other advantages, we already don't have that. But I think that's the key is that most people don't realize how much of their world would be substantially better if they just rearrange things, 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're rearranging things. You were in a marriage and I've met your ex-wife. She's a remarkable human being. Met your kids. They're awesome kids. And, and awesome kids are always a product of a good relationship. What people don't realize is things change and people grow. And sometimes they grow apart. And sometimes they grow in different directions. And sometimes they wake up one day and they say, look, I really like you. And we're not suited for each other. And so the, uh, the beauty is, is as you become more evolved, as certainly I've watched you become more evolved in every area of your life, in your relationship, and certainly in your investing side, you begin to realize that everything's hypnosis. Ultimately, everything is what we think it is, and we get to choose. So, so tell me, tell me, and, and this is really important to me. I saw David Selvin, who's also one of our inner circle members and also a very successful real estate investor. He was asking if you do syndications on any of your commercial deals. Yeah. So last year we purchased a um, 380 something unit apartment building in Arcadia, Arizona. It was a 130 plus million dollar purchase. We had to syndicate that. It's just too expensive on these banks. Um, we, are, we have some financial partners that are bringing in the money for these particular first few banks. Getting into the buying banks business is a real, it's really like a really good niche. And it's like a good old boys club. I had to break into it. And so I had to have, I just brought for the first three banks we purchased, I had to just bring in a big financial partner that had, you know, hundred million dollars in cash. And I had to give away a lot of equity in order to pull this deal off. And I recommend that to anybody. I've been doing real estate a long time. Uh, last year I was floating $40 million personal money, like trying to pull all my, I had 27 new builds going all at one time. And as we were transitioning, all of my money was tied up in residential. So I needed to bring in a financial partner for the banks. Um, we have a new fund that we're launching and we're going to raise a hundred million dollars. It's clevercapitalfund.com, and it's not out yet, but you can get on like an interest list for accredited investors only. It's going to be a uh, fund where you can, as long as you're an accredited investor, and what that basically means is that you make $200,000 a year with the expectation that you'll make another $200,000 this year. So last two years in a row, you made 200 grand, or if you're married, 300 grand, or you have a million dollars worth of net worth, not including your primary residence. That you can go onto a website like Verify Investor, I think is one of them. Uh, There's a bunch of them. You get, basically, you prove that you're accredited, And once you're accredited, you could put your money into different funds. And a fund is nothing more than a vehicle that makes it legal for me to raise capital. So that way I can go buy these awesome commercial assets. And our fund is going to be a 10, 13, uh, 10, 12, 14% fund. Meaning like if you give us money for one year, you get 10%, three years, you get 12%, five years, you get 14%. And then you also participate and some of the upside and the depreciation of the assets. So you get tax benefits plus a healthy return on your money. And then we're going to go off and we're going to scale and we'll raise that hundred million. We'll go buy 400, $500 million worth of commercial assets with it. And so that's coming. We've, we had one fund last year. We raised about $10 million. We closed that out. So yes, sometimes we have a fund. Sometimes we syndicate and syndicate is you, you use a fund as a vehicle to syndicate too, but it's, it's a little different than what we're doing on these, on these banks. So you're saying you do have openings for investors, not specifically a syndication, but certainly an opportunity. Yeah, because it's like, it's called a blind fund. And what that means is like, it's not like 
an apartment building, we knew here's the address of the apartment building. It's 382 units. It's going to cost us this amount. Here's the pro forma. Here's everything with the blunt. And that's us syndicating and raising money for an asset. When we're just raising money in a bucket, right? It's called a blind fund because we, we can only use that money for certain things, but we haven't identified those certain things yet. Like we're going to raise the money and we're going to go out and we're going to buy all the, all the things we want. So like we're real big in the food and uh, beverage space. We know using AI technology and through our good old boys network that Chipotle wants drive-throughs everywhere that a Chipotle with a drive-through makes three to four times the amount of money as a regular non-drive-through Chipotle. And so even though you look on a map, there's like AI software that we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for. And I can throw up on a big screen, this map that shows every Chipotle in Arizona. And I can put a five mile circle around every Chipotle and it's like covered, right? The whole map is covered with these circles. And then I go, okay, throw up every drive-through Chipotle. And there's like one here, one here, one here, one here, and put the circle around it. There's these big gaps everywhere. I can send out my commercial team and go, guys, we have a hundred million dollars in a bucket. We know the commercial real estate agent that reps Chipotle. Let's go fill in every one of these circles. Let's go control that real estate, go through the entitlement process. Chipotle already gave us their buy box. We know exactly what they'll pay for that location. Let's reverse engineer exactly what we need to do to make us a million dollars per Chipotle that we do. Right. Boom. Now we got a business plan, right? And we're doing that in the food and beverage space. We're doing that with the banks. We're doing that with a lot of single tenant, triple net lease stuff like medical office buildings. Those are the things we want to go do our money. And, and that's for the people that give us money for five years and three years. If anybody gives us money for only one year, we have to do more quick turn stuff. So that's what we'll do because I own a development company called Green Elephant Development. A portion of, uh, first off, we spec build houses, beautiful two, three, four, three and a half, four million dollar homes in Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona. We have a great track record. We build beautiful homes. We make money on all our properties. Um, We'll use the, the the shorter term money to keep that machine going on the side while our partner does all the, the spec builds. But all the long-term money will go to commercial. Yep. Yeah. You know, my experience- long, is, Long-winded ex- explanation, but- No, it, it, phenomenal. And I think it's really important for our viewers to understand all of that. One of the pieces that I'll also add to that is I, I teach people that, that part of what you need to do is figure out where are investments being made that are not emotional. So Chipotle has no emotion in buying from you. They, they say, yeah, you, you understand our business model. We make three times as much on a drive-through location as we do on one that doesn't. Um, we're not in the business of acquiring or even finding real estate. That's not really our business. So solve that challenge for us. Yeah, so, and it's, it's clevercapitalfund.com. I, I see in the chat, some people said clever capital. It's clevercapitalfund.com. Yeah, I thought I put that in. Let me just double check. Yeah, I, I, it's all uh, good. Just just so people can yeah, find the, it. The scroll, the scroll was proper. So yeah, the the scroll uh, once again, clever capital fund. Yeah, right there, there it is. So at any rate, what I wanted to say was, you know, one of the things that my experience is is that the challenge with single family is that you're always up against the comps. The mm-hmm. distinction on a commercial piece of real estate is it's it's not necessarily completely restricted by comps, it also has a higher and better use advantage. Meaning I can take a house and, and, and if I build the house on this location better and bigger and more, 
I'm actually doing myself a disservice because then I have the most expensive home in the neighborhood and that home will never appreciate. Whereas if I take a building, as the example was a bank, and I say, hey, let's repurpose this piece of property. Let's put a little drive-through coffee stand over here. Let's put a Chipotle drive-through over here. Same piece of real estate, but the purpose is different. And now the value is not determined just by the real estate. It's also determined by the usefulness. And so the point I want to make- and income. Yes, what, 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 the, what the expectation of revenue is going to be, what it's able to produce. And, and the distinction between uh, production and consumption is where most people don't realize there is profit. And, and what I mean by that is if I live in a house, I'm consuming the house. It's not producing anything. So it can't increase value. Maybe it can increase my pleasure. Maybe it can increase my satisfaction but it cannot increase my revenue just because I moved into that particular piece of real estate. Um, on the other hand, if I, if I produce a piece of, uh, if I buy a piece of commercial real estate and I go through all the steps with the government like you've been doing and like you're doing now, then that inherently changes the value. And I wanna go one step further. And I know this is not necessarily your wheelhouse, although my expectation is after you go down this commercial path, very quickly, it'll be your new wheelhouse house. And this is not something I say a lot because I deal with so many people like yourself that teach real estate investment strategies. I think there's one category of investment that uh, surpasses everyone else. And it's investing in businesses. Mm -hmm. It's actually putting money into a business because the business has no cap. The business has no comp ceiling. And because it has no comp ceiling, uh, if you can take, you know, again, it's, it's the Ray Kroc fortune all built on the real estate behind the business. And so that's where I see you going, because you are a clever investor. That's where I see you going is saying, wow, somebody just pointed out to me all the benefits of commercial over residential. And the next benefit you're gonna see is, oh, wow. Now I realize I can literally become Ray Kroc, a multi-billionaire by understanding how to control the land underneath these businesses. And one key client, of course, somebody like a Chipotle or any number of people that are similar circumstances, Chick-fil-A or any franchises for that matter, that are looking for a specific type of property in a specific type of location, but they're not in the real estate business, not the focus of what they do. So they need people like you, like yeah, Ray Kroc. And you're teaching people about a land lease. That's that's the technical term is like, like if I get a, a, a coffee shop that wants that location, we'll go buy it go through the entitlement, tear down the old building, rebuild their new building, put them in a long-term lease at uh, a triple, it's called a triple net lease. It's, that means that they pay the taxes, they pay the maintenance, they pay the mortgage, they pay everything. Right? They pay for the parking lot. They pay for everything. We pay nothing. We just get mailbox money and we own the real estate. We get the depreciation every, let's say it's a 15 year lease with the right to renew for seven years, five different times. Eventually they might say, Hey, we don't want, and, and, and it's, it's called a land lease. And at the end of that land lease, maybe 20 years down the road, they're like, we don't want this anymore. We're done. And they move out. You still own the real estate and you, you get that back. So you haven't had to deal with it for 20 years. You just got mailbox money, but you still own the asset. You still get all the tax benefits from the asset. Yep. Uh, yeah. And speaking on businesses. So I sold a company last year for eight figures. Right. And it was my first big exit from a company. What company was it? Uh, Clever Investor. 
I sold, I sold the education business, Clever Investor. And it was a great, it was, it was a great experience for me because I learned, I, first off, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a real estate investor and I'm a badass real estate investor. Yes, you are. But I've been running, I, 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 my, if you followed my trajectory over 20 years, I, I did nothing but real estate for seven years. I didn't do side hustles. I didn't run other businesses. I did real estate and I got really good at that skill set. And then eventually I was like, I asked myself a very important question. I think every entrepreneur should ask themselves when they get world-class at what they do, this question. Every time I do a real estate transaction, who else is making money from that transaction? Well, the real estate agent's making money. The mortgage guy's making money. The title company's making money. The insurance people are making money. So I just started doing like what Apple does. I was like, well, let's just go take my real estate money and go start a title company. Let's go start a lending company. Let's go start a real estate brokerage. And we just started verticalizing that. And then I got, we were doing that. And next thing you know, I'm like managing multiple businesses and multiple and teams. And I'm learning how to grow a team and culture and all that stuff. And I'm becoming a real entrepreneur. And then, and that was like eight years in. And then people started coming to me saying, will you teach me how to do what you're doing? And that was the birth of Clever Investor, the education business. And I scaled that business. And that's the one I sold. And we became one of the biggest in the space. It was awesome. We have a great brand. We have a phenomenal team. And I sold that business. And I was like, wow, I should be doing this every three to four years. I should have sold Clever five years ago. I shouldn't have held on to it for so long. When we were at it, because like the business kind of went a little bit like this, just because I lost my heart in it a little bit. Yep. Because I, I owned it for since 2009. And um, I should have sold it in like 2017. And I probably would have got three or four times more than what I got for it back if I would have sold back then. But it taught me a very important lesson. Like this is really my skill set is starting scaling business or investing in business, scaling and, and, and then exiting. So as soon as I sold that, I kind of stepped back and I'm like, I'm going to, next time I do this, I'm going to sell a business for 100 to 150 million. And here's how I'm going to do it. I looked around the world and I'm like, where's the opportunities at? Well, right now, the home services space is massive. It, it, um, AI is not going to be able to disrupt home services. It can disrupt almost every other job out there, right? Like give us 10 years robots will be making sales for you. They'll be doing customer support for you. They'll be, or, you know, making your food and delivering it at the automated McDonald's for you. Like it's already happening, but it's going to, almost every industry is going to get disrupted. Plumbing's never going to get disrupted until like Elon Musk has an actual humanoid robot going to your house and like doing the work. It's not going to get disrupted anytime soon. So I love the home services space because of that. It's also a very old school business You've got all these old timers that don't know how to market, don't know how to make it cool, don't know how to make it fun. Um, it's a very investable business and it's a very sellable business. So I took some of my profits and I started a, a company called Floor Daddy. Floor Daddy is in the flooring space. We're, we, I, I, I'm doing the, I, I think of it just like this. Who else is killing it in this flooring space and what do they make per month? Well, you got Empire Flooring, you got, um, uh, you got Empire, you got Express Flooring. Like these are huge companies doing 3 million a month in flooring sales, each one of them. And there, yep. some of them are nationwide, but just like 3 million a month here in Arizona. And I'm like, okay, if 3 million a month is like what the big dogs do, and there's only like literally three or four big dogs that advertise on commercials and really crush it on social. 
I could be a big dog too, very quickly. I got money. And so I went and I stole, I started recruiting. And I'm like, I need the CMO of one of these big companies. I need the lead sales guys of one of these companies. I need the lead installer of one of these companies. I need the lead operations person. And I'm going to build a better team, a better culture. I'm going to put more money behind it. I'm going to outmarket them. I'm going to make it fun. Floor Daddy is sexy flooring, affordable prices, quality and you know quality products, and I'm going to outmarket everybody because that's what I do. And um, and so I stole all these people. I built this power team in a very short amount of time, and then I went over to North Carolina. I found a guy that was doing two million dollars of uh, flooring sales per month. I went to the CEO and I said. I want to hire you as my personal coach. And he goes, I'm just a flooring CEO. Like I own the business and I am a CEO of my company. Like I don't do coaching. I'm like, it's exactly why I want to hire you. He goes, why are you really doing this? Cause I offered him 15 grand a month. He goes, why are you really doing this? I said, simple. I'm going to mirror your best attributes. I'm are you ever going to come to Arizona? He said, no. I said, great. I'm going to mirror your best attributes. I'm going to scale to 2 million a month and you're going to buy me for hundred or $150 million. We're going to roll up into you and then we're going to sell for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to a private equity company or whatever. Some family office that wants that machine. Yep. Cause they love this stuff. They love home services. And so I just, that's how I think about business. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not smart enough to figure this shit out on my own. I don't know what I'm doing other than, I'm an entrepreneur at my core. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to hire the best team members. I'm going to pay them extremely well. I'm going to put them in the right seats of the bus. I'm going to tell them what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and what's in it for them if they do it with me. I'm going to point the thing like this is where we're going. And then I'm going to get the hell out of the way. Okay, guys, build this business, right? I'm not going to, I don't show up to all the meetings. I'm like Donald Trump. I don't care about little details. Like, I don't, do you want this color or this color? Do you want this? To, I don't care about any of that. I just, big picture, let's drive home the big deals. Let's scale this in residential first, then commercials where the big money is because big companies retrofitting their office spaces and stuff. That's where all the big flooring dollars is. Get well, that it's up. It's a professional choice. And that's a great distinction. It's a professional choice, not a personal choice. And I'm going to sell this bad boy. And Marshall, I'll, I'll be back on your podcast and I'll say, I just exited for 150 million. I doubt it. I doubt it'll be that low. I doubt it'll be that low. (laughs) But I think you hit, you know, again, you hit upon a really great point. And that is so many people that are watching the show right now, they're entrepreneurs and they're, you know, their desire is to be financially independent, not work for other people. They don't realize a couple things uh, that first and foremost, yeah, it's scary at first. It's really scary and you're probably going to fail and you're probably going to have, you know, you're going to launch a podcast or a broadcast and you're going to have, you know, relatively few people on it. You stay with it and eventually Spotify buys you for $200 million. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And so I think the other piece, besides just helping people understand, you got to get out of your head. You got to get into the process is you need to realize you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You, you don't have to invent anything. Somebody else has already done it. Go hack it. You're not stealing anything by by using best you know practices and watching what works and saying, my gosh, that seems to work. It's business to go hire the CEO or the marketing director of some competitor that's doing extremely well and launch your business. It's just smart. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think that most most people don't have a clue of how business is actually done. Much like you were saying, you didn't realize I don't have to pay taxes. 
if I structure it this way, they're bigger transactions, there's more profit, and I don't have to pay taxes because commercial is experienced way different than residential. Yep. So it's all those things. And again, that's the intention of this show is that I have great guests like you and you say something like the distinction you made between residential. And now you also made another huge distinction. I know you know this about about being all things to your company, you know, being Apple, you know, becoming the manufacturer, becoming the board, uh, you know, manufacturer and the parts and everything. You know what a lot of people don't realize the original fortune Apple made was not on their devices. It was on the Apple store. It was on music. It was on the ability to download music. And, and because they made that innovation and reinvented it, that portion, that's where they made all their money. But the thing that makes it long-term is understanding that once they have a model that works, you pour into that and that you can cookie cutter that. So Apple music becomes Apple, you know, movies and, you know, streaming on the devices. I, I was talking to a friend of mine. We're talking about buying TV and radio stations right now. And the mm. reason we're talking about buying TV and radio stations is they can be bought at this point for pennies on the dollar. And there's no real value in terrestrial radio or television or print for that matter right now compared to what it used to be because everything is going digital. As you know, you know, you have your own podcast, you have your own broadcast, highly successful. And the barrier to entry is not what it used to be. We're at a time where you're one idea away from a billion dollars and you've realized that. That's why, you know, if, if anything else, I want to give you the gift back. You're not selling out for 150 million. You're selling out for a billion. And inside of five years, Cody, we're going to see you as a billionaire. We're going to remember this conversation and you're going to say, you know what? I, I need friends like that. I need people around me that even when I think I'm thinking big, they tell me, no, you're way bigger than that because that's what we all need. And I, and you, I know think what, that you know what I love us. about when you when you talk, Marshall, you have such certainty. Where does that come Dude. from? Where does that That's come from? How does a guy like me this, get more of that? Thanks for turning this interview around. Uh, yes, yep. by all means. Yeah, I do have certainty, you know, and, and it's hypnosis. I said that earlier. Ultimately, everything's hypnosis. And, you know, I'm in a circumstance where we are dealing with the city and getting them to repurpose a manufacturing facility as an entertainment education and video production studio. And it's, I mean, again, it's a building. There's adequate parking. The building is a building. So why would the city care what goes into that building? You would think they shouldn't care. And the thing is they do because the, their caring is what causes their existence. If they don't care, they have no purpose and I have no reason to pay them. So they've got to care. And part of caring means saying no. So you asked me about certainty. I have certainty because not choosing your thoughts is just stupid. Not choosing the meaning of something is ineffective. And so certainty is the absence of doubt. I can hold a thought in my brain. I can hold a truth in my brain until the evidence is overwhelming. But most things, the majority of things in our life, we get a choice of what we can believe. I can walk on stage and think everybody hates me when they all love me. And because I think they hate me, my confidence is going to be low. And eventually they're not going to like me. On the other hand, I can walk out on a stage as I have on many occasions where everybody hates me, but I think they love me. Cause I mean, look at me <laughs> and because I love me and because I know I'm a gift to the planet and because I know I'm the person for the job, what happens is I go out there and they hate me, but I like me. And very soon they're 
veneer cracks. And they say, well, gosh, the guy's acting like, you know, he's all that. And he doesn't seem to be affected by the fact that we hate him. Maybe there's something to like about this guy. And the tides turn. I think, though, that the last thing that I, that I want to say, and this has definitely gotten to me now. It's the reason I've launched this broadcast. I'm old. And, Cody, although you look great, you're old. And that's the other reason I choose certainty is I'm going to die. I have a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. She's 15 years younger than me. And uh, she doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, always healthy. She got lung cancer five years ago. And they took out one of her lungs. And for the last few years, she's been okay. My wife just got a call from her. And uh, she said, what's going on? And she said, I'm fucked. I'm just screwed. You know, I'm just, it's back. Well, she's going to die. She knows that. So I'm. Erica said to me, I think it was a goodbye call. And I would agree, it probably was. So, so that's the other thing is that, I, and I know most people don't like hearing this. If you're watching this program right now, you're old. I don't care if you're seven, you're old, your life's going to go by in a blink. You need to get busy. You need to throw everything you have at your life. You need to, to go out and launch every business you're considering every, you know, go look at every investment you want to get involved with, hug every person as if you're never going to hug them again. Appreciate your friends as much as I appreciate and respect you because you don't know when your last conversation with them is going to be. You don't know if you're going to live. You don't know if they're going to live. You don't know where the world is going. You know, you, you are a patriot. And I love that about you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned Donald Trump a little bit earlier after the last election, which was clearly stolen, 100 uh, percent stolen. I'm one of those people that I have an opinion and I speak it out. A lot of people don't speak it out. They're way more diplomatic than me. But I also had a big challenge right after the election because I knew it was stolen, that I knew that if we allow that to happen in our country, we don't have a country. We're, we're no better than any third world country if we don't actually have legitimate elections. And so I'm a hypnotist. I know this stuff. And for months, I got in my own head. For months, I was concerned about my own children. And then ultimately, when I realized that nothing was going to change, I said, OK, well, regardless of what happened, we are where we are. We've got a figurehead in the White House and I've got to live under those circumstances and make the best of it. So I think that's the last piece in creating certainty is you say, what would be the best thing for me to think? You know, would it be would it be better for me to have doubt and fears and be concerned that, you know, all this is going to go bad or would I just choose that everything's going to turn out perfectly? I am blessed. I am chosen by God and I am favored by God. And this is not a religious show, but I certainly love God deeply. And because of that, yes, I am massively blessed. I went in the spa here this morning before my show and I'm soaking in the ocean with my son Maximus or soaking in the spa, watching the ocean with my son Maximus. And I was just thinking, you know, why don't most people live the life that they want to live? And I think that Clever Investor says it all. The title says it all. They don't think they're smart. They don't think they're clever. They don't think that they'll win. And they get set back a little bit. They do an invest. Did you ever lose money on an investment? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. A few, few times. Yeah, all of us. Yeah. In fact, more than a few times on my part, I'm not. I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I'm not proud. I'm not embarrassed. Yeah, I've, I've lost. I've lost more money than I've made, guaranteed. And the thing is, though, is it's a it's a certain mindset. It's the VC investor that takes you know loans out, uh, invests a hundred million dollars in ten companies. Nine of them go belly up. He loses ninety million dollars. And people say, why would you do that? And he says, because the other ten million I invested just made me a billion. And so I think that that's the other thing that helps me be certain. 
and I'm positive where you are now. Because again, if you're in a relationship, it's it's worse to be in a relationship with somebody that you don't fight. <laughs> you know, you, you're not really wanting to be there. You know, you're not suited for each other anymore, but you don't fight. Because if you fight, you go, I just need to get out of here. If you don't fight, it's worse. So, you know, you being married to your amazing ex-wife, because she's an amazing human being, that's kind of a dilemma. You got to let go of one trapeze bar to get to the next trapeze bar, even mm -hmm. when you know you want to get to the next trapeze bar. So that's the final thing that makes me certain. I have utmost belief in God and that my life is favored. It's being directed even when I think it's not, even when things go south or I lose an investment or, you know, somebody wrongs me or offends me. I say, you know what? Just God watching out for me right now. It's a blessing. So I sent a message to my buddy whose wife's dying of lung cancer. And I said, I'm saying prayers for you and your family. He messaged me back. He said, every day is an adventure. Every day is a challenge for me to use what you taught me. That's you know, I, I I don't know what your religious uh, leanings are, nor do I even care. But I think about Christ and, and a prophet. And he, if he was just a man, what a great strategy to be on a place where you're being crucified and someone slaps you and you just turn the other cheek because you literally just disempowered them. You took away any power they had over you by saying, I understand that you feel the need to slap me. And while I don't agree with you, I understand your need to be yourself. So you're loved. So I'm excited for you, man. You're looking well said, great. Marshall. I, I You're that. looking great. You're sounding great. Again, I, I'm glad that you went through the transition with your bride. She seems happy, uh, obviously. Yeah. Know, there's a song by Kenny Loggins, and the song um, is called The Real Thing. And he's singing to his daughter, Amanda, and she's come to him because he's about to divorce her mother. And she says, he says to his daughter, Amanda, I know what you're thinking. You and I have much to say. You've been making me crazy trying to understand, but it's impossible at your age. I know I said I'd always try, but you're going about it all again tonight. I'm doing this for you and the boys, her brothers, because love should bring you joy and not this imitation that your mama and daddy have been trying to show you. I'm doing this for you and for me because I still believe there's only one thing you should never give up, never compromise on. It's the real thing, baby, love. And I think that's what certainty is to me. Certainty is a choice. You know, I, somebody says, how are you doing? And, and I'm sure you answer something similar. I say, awesome. And they say, really? Like they're surprised that I'm doing awesome. Like, what, what should I say? I'm doing crappy. How will that add value to your day or my day? I say, awesome. And then I usually add, it's a choice. It's a choice for me to say I'm doing awesome. And it's a choice for me to experience my life that way. So in the last couple minutes before we wrap up, and I appreciate you giving me so great. much of your time. Any advice to people that are investors, even single family investors that have invested a whole lot of money in learning about real estate investing mm -hmm. and have not yet even done their first deal? Can you give me any insight on how to nudge that person, push them over the hump? Because we both know that the first deal is the most difficult one. Mm -hmm. How do we assist people that are in that place? I would say two things. I would say thing number one is it took me 14 months to do my first deal. And I want everybody to think about when they get this idea that they want to go do something great and kind of it's scary and overwhelming, but they're so excited. They're, they're just, they're willing to go to the event. They're willing to buy the course. They're willing to put themselves out there and tell their friends and family, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm going to be real estate rich. That's great in month one, but my month three, if you haven't got a deal, the credit card bills are due and you're starting to stress out a little bit and you're 
a little voice in your head's getting a little louder. And maybe some of the people that were kind of cheerleading you on are now like kind of questioning a little bit. By month six, it's really loud. And now some people have bowed out. Maybe you're even hearing some voices, uh, people kind of talking a little smack behind your back. And it's kind of irritating you. And you don't understand why everything is so frictional and tough and everybody gets in the way of your deals. And then by month nine, you're that voice is screaming at you. You're not good enough. You're not, this ain't going to happen. And, and just, just stay focused on college. Just stay focused on your job. Like what, what, what were you thinking? Who do you think you are to deserve these things? Whatever that is happening, the longer the time goes, the harder and harder it gets to stay on the course. And there, that book, three feet from gold, you should read it. If you haven't, it's that same concept of like, just, is it one more shovel than you hit the gold? Like, are you almost there? Like, and whose time frame are you playing on? Yours or destinies, gods, whatever you want to believe in? Because if you stop digging, you're definitely out. But if you keep digging, you're definitely going to get there eventually. Sure. But for me, it took 14 months. And I quit and unquit a bunch of times. And I'm great. Like, I turned out to be one of the best. And, and you know, at the, at the risk of sounding conceited or... You know, no, kind we, of we like own, arrogance on this show. Yeah, you know, I'm just I, I I'm better than most, you know, and I believe that I'm better than most. And uh, even if I humbly say nice shit about you, I'm in my mind. I'm thinking I'll kill you, like I'm the best. Like that's I how it. I feel about myself. As you should, uh, as everybody should. Yes, yes. It was a glorious day for fools when modesty became a virtue. <laughs> yes, and and there's, for me, it was no benefit. It was like I'm a badass, and it took me 14 months. Yes. And then I have some lady who pays me. $30,000 to teach her and she's from Barbados and she may, she goes, what do I do, Cody? And I say, call these Craigslist leads and just try to like get the marbles out of your mouth and like figure, get, get a conversation done. Like that's going to be the win of the day. And she gets a $50,000 deal on her first damn phone call and hits a home run out of the park. Yeah, and she's thinking, why haven't I done real estate my whole life? This is easy. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to get rich. And I'm thinking, huh? There's no way you're doing that again anytime soon. Like you got lucky, but she put herself in the game and she got lucky and it happened for her. Her next deal didn't happen for months and months and months. And she had to learn the stamina lesson later. So that's thing number one is it's not going to happen on your time frame, but it will happen as long as you don't quit. So that's one thing, no matter how great you think you are. And number two <laughs> is there's a very high probability that you're the fucking reason why it's not happening. I had to unwind a lot of pre-programming, unwind a lot of like wanting to control things, unwind a lot of me listening to too many people, all right? Like drinking from a fire hose and buying all these courses and going to all these events. And like I had too many gurus and too much information being thrown at me and I got super overwhelmed. And if I laid out 10 things of peanut butter in front of you and said, pick which one you love, it's gonna be hard. But if I put two in front of you and I say, which one do you love? It's going to be a lot easier because you're going to go, I like that one better than that one. Same in real estate, same with any major goal you're, you're going after is if you're doing, us entrepreneurs think we could do it all and we end up dying a death by a thousand cuts and we listen to too many people that you wouldn't trade places with. I look back in my first year, I'm like, God, there were so many bozos. I listened to poor financial advice, poor strategy advice, poor personal development advice. And the guy who's giving me personal development advice was some big fat guy with noodle arms and boobs. And I'm like, why am I listening to you? You don't even love yourself. You're not even taking care of yourself. And you're giving me mental advice? Like, go get your shit together, bro. And the same with financial. It's like, why am I talking to my 
single friend about marriage advice. I shouldn't, I should be talking to the happily married guy that I would trade places with in that department. And once I got that and I found a mentor that put blinders on me that said, oh, we're only gonna do these three things and we're gonna dominate this business. We're gonna keep it simple and we're gonna kick butt. I got my deal yeah. and everything changed. So I had to look in the mirror and take a lot of extreme ownership of like, Ugh, Sperber, you overcomplicated it. You thought wrong. You treated people the wrong way. You said the wrong things. I, I talked myself right out of two dozen deals and I didn't even know it. And so that that's the other half of it. So so just you you just look. You said something earlier about you believe that it's like God is blessing you, like He's yeah, He's favored, rooting man. for you, right? I'm God's kid. I'm a prince, man. Yeah. Well, I believe that God doesn't make mistakes, and He's yeah. not going to put you on this path by accident. It's not like, oops, I screwed up. Like it doesn't work like that. So if God doesn't make mistakes and and you're on this path, there's a reason that you're learning these lessons and you're being tested. So that way in the future, when the opportunities come, you're prepared for them. You can lean in on them. You can take advantage of them. And then you have that testimony at the end of the day. And so uh, I would just say, you got this, keep going. Don't, 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 don't let up. And you owe it to yourself. Cause at the end of the day, I look back now on, on all the hurdles along the way. And just like Ed, my look Ed my let's book the power of one. Mm-hmm. I was the one in my family. Nobody else ever graduated college. Yeah. I was the one. Nobody else ever became a millionaire. I was the first. A multimillionaire, I was the first. And I look now and I'm like, wow, I was the one. And it's a, a very big uh, um, calling to be the one. It's your oblig Success is an obligation. It's not an option. And once I understood that, I carried the football as far as I can down the field. But at some point, I'm going to run out of energy and I'm going to look at my son and I'm going to say, you have a choice, kid. Yeah. You can be an entitled little brat and squander all the things that I've done to get us here and take advantage of people and not serve and not be a good human and just use, use and abuse the platform I've built us. Or you can take this football and haul ass even further down the field and learn how to be the one for you. Like you now need to be the new one. And uh, I think he's going to do that because that's how I train him and teach him. And uh, you're that's the one, who he is. you're the one, you're the one. If you're watching this, if you've taken the time to be on this podcast and you hang out with a guy like Marshall Silver, who's trying to teach you how, the success principles and the wealth principles, that means you want more, more joy, more control, more freedom. You believe that you deserve these things. And I believe you deserve these things. Now you just got to go put in the work to get those things. And at some point you'll look back and go, thank God it wasn't easy. Otherwise every bozo would be here with me. And the only people that make it past all those hurdles are the people that deserve to be there. You're not going to get there by accident. You're going to earn your way there. Everything you just described was mindset. Everything you just described was getting out of your own head and, and, and getting on with your life. And I would agree that that's the hardest part for people. I saw in the chat, Melissa Siegler and a few other people actually asked, what's the best place to start learning about real estate? I, I went to Clever Investor while we were chatting, and obviously your face is still all over the website. Yeah, I'm, I'm heavily involved. I'll always be involved. Clever was my baby. I birthed it. You know, it was I'm, I'm the founder and um, the company that bought it. They're in the real estate education space. They are a great steward of the brand. They're going to do a fantastic job. Um, but I'm still heavily involved. I'm I'm in Clever headquarters right now. You know, I'm I'm not I'm never going to be fully out. I just Probably. no longer am the sole owner of it. 
And so, so who's the, who's the new owner? Uh, a, a company called Uplife Group. They purchased Uplife it. Group. Uplife awesome, Group. Man. Yeah. So here's yeah. the question. Melissa's asking, do you have any free courses, any introductory courses that we can uh, uh, turn people on to? Yeah. Um, if you go to here, let me make sure that it's the right website. Let's go free.cleverinvestor.com. Let me just make sure this works. I believe it's free.cleverinvestor.com. Awesome. Free.cleverinvestor.com. If you go to that website, you're going to get a, uh, about $1,000 worth of free training. Check it out. You know, hopefully it helps you. Um, I have courses at uh, codysperber.com. There's some great courses there uh, you could check out. But look, I don't even want to sell you anything. I, I'll give you that. that free.cleverinvestor.com is a bunch of free stuff. Start there. I'm not interested in selling you anything. You know, if you want to learn real estate, the best way to learn is to like do deals, right? Like get out behind your computer and go out and do real deals. I have a program called do deals with me. It's $97. And you're, I give you the training. I give you the software. I give you the tools. The whole goal of that, that program isn't to sell you a course it's to do deals with you. Like, I believe that if, if I teach you how to go find a good deal and you bring it to me and we can link arms and do the deal together, we'll make a lot more money, right? You'll learn the business. You're not gonna get stuck in education world. We'll do an actual real flip or a real deal. We'll break, we'll split the profits and you'll go, wow, that was way cooler doing that with a squad, with a team. And I made some money, I learned something, and eventually you won't need me, right? Eventually you'll do enough deals where you'll be like, I'm gonna do this next one on my own and keep all the profits, and I hope that happens. Uh, until then, I know for me personally, I was way overwhelmed in education world, and that's where I got stuck. And if uh, the second I had a mentor in my life, somebody that just locked arms with me, showed me things I can't learn in books, introduced me to the right people, pushed me and pulled me and got me to just do a dang deal, my dist 14 months to do deal one. Another two, three months, I did deal two. Another one month, I did deal three. Another two weeks, I did deal four. Another two days, I did deal five. It was like I collapsed time because I got out of my own way. I got the systems down. I got the network down and I started just banging them out. Thousands of deals later, now I'm talking about banks and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, it's a great, the best place to start is just lock arms with an already successful investor that's doing it partner up with them and solve a problem for them. I have a problem. I can't do, I can't scale fast enough without your help. And so my, my, my call, my call to you is come help me and I'll pay you to be a deal finder. It's not going to be all encompassing mentorship, meaning like we're not going to be on the phones talking about your personal life and all this stuff. It's like, here's how to find a deal. Here's the software to go find the deal, go find the deal. And when you get one on the hook, Bring it back to me and I'll help. I'll, I'll put it together and close the bad boy and we'll split the profits. Perfect. Yeah. Good Do stuff, deals man. with me. Yeah. I'd like that. So the best way for them to reach out to you is how? Uh, you can go to CodySperber.com if you're interested in any of that training stuff. Um, just I'm at official Cody Sperber on Instagram. Um, I'm all over the place. My old Instagram handle is at Clever Investor. But when I sold the company, I sold the Instagram handle. So I'm slowly losing control over that, but just come hang out with me at, at official Cody Sperber. I love it. Hey, Cody, thanks so much for being my very first guest on the Marshall Silver Live broadcast. You are amazing. I look forward to hanging out with you in person. You're looking great. And you are an exceptional human being. The world's a better place because you're here. No room for humility. 
You are a billionaire whose money has not yet been deposited in your bank account. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate you, Marshall. By the way, podcast looks great. This thing's going to go number one. I have no doubt you're going to just absolutely smash it out of the park with this thing. This is fan. I've been waiting for a long time for you to do this. So great job on this. Well, we're digging it. You know, we're giving away cash. We're giving away silver. We've got the best guests in the world. So how could we fail? That's right. All right. Well, thanks for having me well, on. Until next time. I'm out of here, guys. Appreciate Take you. Take care, brother. Cody Sperber, clever investor. CodySperber.com for free gifts. Find out more information. Wow. That was fun. That was too much fun. In fact, it's kind of amazing when other people talk besides me. It's like magic. <laughs> hey, I'm excited. I got a gift for you. And here's my gift for you. We're going to play a video. And this is a turning point. And like Cody was just talking about, the biggest reason people don't get what they want in any area of their life better relationships, more money, emotional, mental, physical well-being, is their head's not on straight. They're just not thinking clearly. And Cody, this massively successful guy, he asks about certainty. Why? Because certainty is a thing. It's the absence of doubt. And what you've got to recognize is the more certain you become, the more successful you will be. So I'm going to show you a video about Turning Point, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to come join me in Las Vegas where we teach Turning Point almost every single month. We got another one coming up here in less than a month, and I'd like you there. So to give you an idea, before we enter the vault, take a look, this is Turning Point. Turning Point, a total change in direction for the better. Who here is ready for a Turning Point? You absolutely have to have one, put them high. The two-day Turning Point seminar is different than any other program in that it does more than just teach you the skills for your relationships, wealth, and power. It also programs you on a subconscious level to put those skills into immediate use. This weekend is about empowerment. This weekend is about you understanding how to take charge of your own life. You will learn total control of your thoughts and emotions, how to use END or psychoneural duplication to take on the thoughts and actions of others to produce similar results. Whether it's losing weight, changing habits, being a millionaire. When you think what a millionaire thinks and you do what a millionaire does, you'll produce similar results. You will learn to program these powerful tools at a subconscious level for immediate and lasting results. Your conscious mind is what's called your critical factor. It's the mind you're using right now to determine whether the information I'm giving to you will work for you or not. Your subconscious mind, on the other hand, is merely a computer. It's non-critical. It doesn't even have the ability to make judgment. So all trance, hypnosis, reprogramming is, is setting aside the critical factor of your conscious mind and non-critically accepting suggestions. And empowering. To make a fear vanish, you must experience it fully. As it helps you create your life exactly the way you want it. Bring your family closer. Find the love of your life. Create strategies for wealth. Learn irresistible influence and so much more. Because of the intimate nature of this course, seats are very limited. Register now before your life passes you by and there are no more turning points for you. Tens of thousands of people have learned this information and are using it daily. You don't get angry if you get fired from your job and you know that within two years you will be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. It's your time. There's a way for you to win this game that is different than how you're doing it. And it works. 
It's your life. When you learn how to do that, you become more powerful, and power is for use. It's your turning point. Welcome back. Marshall Silver here. We are in the vault. And since we're a brand new show, we are over explaining things at this point. I'm in the vault uh, because eventually, very soon, actually, we're going to do it today. I'm going to wait a couple days. We are going to leave all the other media platforms, uh, all the other social platforms where this broadcast is currently being streamed. Very soon, we're going to leave. And I'll tell you the reason we're going to leave. It's twofold. Number one, I want to be able to talk freely when I accept your calls, which we're about to start taking your calls here in the uh, vault. I want to be able to talk freely. I want to be able to tell my truth. And if I told my truth on pretty much any social media platform, they're going to ban me. And so in an effort to get some, I don't know, footing, to get some stability for the show before we get banned on all those platforms, we're going to take you from those platforms over to the vault, uh, which will live on one of my sites to lessen the likeliness that I'm going to get shut down because I'm going to get shut down eventually. It's almost certain. It doesn't mean we'll be shut down permanently, much like Tucker Carlson uh, getting canceled and then becoming bigger than ever. That's likely what's going to happen. The other reason, too, is I want to know who I'm talking to. So if you have not opted in for a brand, uh, for your free membership to the Marshall Silver Live program and access to the vault, make sure you do that. Make sure that you sign up for your lifetime access at studiomoney.info forward slash the vault. And that'll give you permanent access. Doesn't cost a dime. All sorts of free gifts going out your way when you do that. And we like taking care of people. Uh, first guest in the vault today. I'm really excited to have this gentleman here because he got here before anybody else today. He entered the studio, waited for the show, got here early, and just all around looks to be a good guy. Marcus and I pray I'm saying this right, Coert. Marcus Coert, you are live on the air. Did I say that right? Uh, it's actually Coward, but I'll take it. Coward. No, I, I like to say names properly. I, I'm very specific about how people say my name. I'm very specific about what I'm called. Marcus Coward. Welcome to the show. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Houston, Texas. Awesome, man. And are you in the insurance business? Uh, I am a licensed insurance agent, but I don't do that professionally. Uh, I'm more in business development and, um, you know, looking for opportunity, which is the reason that I uh, called in today, because I have a lot of different interests. Um, I see opportunity everywhere. You know, everybody's got a course. They're selling real estate, social media, marketing, you know, a variety of different things. So my question to you was, how do you go about picking that million dollar opportunity when there are so many out there? Steve Jobs said it in an address to a major university. He said one of the most important things that we can do in our lifetime is figure out what we love. And so for me, it is absolutely essential 
to answer the question, what would you do if money weren't the question? What would you do with your life if money weren't the object or the outcome of your efforts? That's what you want to be doing. Uh, if somebody were to ask me, you know, if you had a billion dollars in the bank right now, which I don't, if someone were to ask me if you had a billion dollars in the bank right now, what would you do? I would do this broadcast. And I would do this broadcast because this is what's needed right now. We're in a place where people are confused. There's so much dis and misinformation that, you know, people are just in pain. And I would like to be a part of the solution. I'd like to be a part of helping people feel better. So back to your specific question, though, I ask myself this question all the time. What is the highest and best use of my time? And so as an example, I go do seminars and we've been doing seminars for 40 years. And before I went into my retirement, our audiences were 15,000 people in an arena. I started having babies, went into semi-retirement, COVID hits, everything changes. And so now we're back and the events aren't huge. You know, there are a hundred people. And at the same time though, the effort and energy and focus that I put into my event for a hundred people is the same as I put into the event for 15,000. And my, my meaning in all of that is we wanna figure out a way in this day and age, how we can impact as many people as possible and get our message one to many. So as far as businesses go, that is the key cornerstone that people should be considering right now. How do I do one to many? You know, we just had Cody Sperber on in the first hour. I'm sure you enjoyed the interview. Yeah. He said something that was pretty cornerstone to a lot of what we deal with. He was talking about Chipotle, and he said the revenue that a Chipotle with a drive-through generates is three or four times greater than it generates without a drive-through. And I thought, wow, one little teeny tiny distinction and everything. Mm. My first major mentor is a man named Chuck Martinez. Chuck owned a magic shop in San Diego. When I moved to San Diego when I was 14 years old, I got a full-time job working for him in his magic shop. He also came up with the idea of putting Halloween stores into empty big boxes like the garden department at Sears when the garden department closed down on September 31st, he would put the Halloween stores, Spirit or Masquerade or any of these Halloween stores into empty big boxes. That was his idea. And I watched my mentor from the time I was 17 when he came up with the idea till I was 23, I watched my mentor become worth tens of millions of dollars from one idea. So that's the other thing is we gotta ask what would make us happy? What business do we like doing? <laughs> Second question, is it the highest and best use of our time? Meaning if it's an outcome to make money, does it make me money? You know, I, I asked if you're in the insurance business, you said I am a licensed insurance agent, except that's not your passion, clearly. That's not what you wanna be doing. And the, by the big smile you just gave me, I hit the nail on the head. So while you have that profession and you've been in that business, it's not what you want. The, the thing I tell anybody watching this program right now is you want to build on an existing foundation. You want to take whatever your previous skill sets were and say, OK, how can this take me to the next place? As an example, as a child, I was a professional magician. So I got on stage, I entertained people, I'd go to their birthday party, their blue and gold banquet. You know, later on in my life, I'd start working nightclubs and, and professional venues. 
then I realized that I didn't want that as my profession. I, I, I loved it. Alperfield, Doug Henning were very big at the time, except I also realized first to market matters and I wasn't first to market. And so sitting in LA, I said, you know what? I'm going to figure out what I want to do. I went through eight jobs and eight apartments in two years. I managed the number one nightclub in San Diego. I uh, was the promotions director of the number one radio station in Los Angeles, drove around giving people free money. And none of it was fulfilling to me. One day I was sitting watching a peer of mine, somebody that was a friend of mine had become a stage hypnotist. And I watched his show and thought he was horrible, thought he was absolutely horrific. And he was. He had no stage experience. He had just become a stage hypnotist. And while the hypnosis worked, he was very awkward. And the moment mm. I saw it, though, I was reminded how much I love hypnosis. And I said, that's my life. Went out and saw the best instructor in the world at teaching hypnosis, went and studied with him. And I, I took a, a five day, 10 hour a day, 50 hour course. And within two hours of studying with him, knew that I knew, I knew this was my life. I knew I knew the knowledge he was already given me for my self-studies, and I knew that I knew. So one of the things that I would ask someone like you, if I was coaching you, I'd say, Marcus, what do you love? What do you love doing? If money weren't the question, what do you love? Um, I really enjoy uh, marketing, uh, business. I'm a writer, a communicator, so I'm uh, working on a novel right now. Um, I, I, I really enjoy the written word. So you're a writer, you're a communicator, you enjoy the written word. Do you see yourself as a published author? I do. Are you currently a published author? I am not yet, uh, but I'm, I'm 10 chapters into my first novel. Good. So you write fiction? Uh, I have interest in both. I write both. I write for a, for a magazine, um, nonfiction in a political space, but... Um, uh, I am writing uh, my first uh, fiction piece of fiction right now. Is the color of your shirt an indication of your leaning? <laughs> it is. It is. It's go. it's in uh, homage to uh, to to my political ideology as well as the uh, the the calendar of today, the, the Valentine's Day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So so a couple things. Yeah. Communication equals wealth. The highest paid profession anybody could get into, and I'm not saying this only because it's me, the highest paid profession anybody could get into is public speaking. And figuring out a way to have that be one of your centers of, of revenue is a really smart thing to do. You take somebody like a Steve Jobs, who was in the computer business, but that's not really what he did for a living. What he did for a living was he inspired people. What he did for a living was he was a public speaker. And, you know, they would watch stocks leap every single time he did a, you know, town hall meeting. And when he died, there was great concern that Apple would tank all because Steve Jobs was gone. So anybody like you that carries themselves well, and you said you're really good with words, you're a really good communicator. Yes, there's money to be made in publishing. There's money to be made in writing articles and writing books. In fact, my recommendation on the book side of things is you might, even though you're working on your novel, you might consider being a part of a collaborative book. You know, one of those books that has chapters with uh, authors each wrote a chapter inside of the book. You might do that. 
only because it immediately establishes you as a published author. If you want to do that, we have a phenomenal connection inside of our certain family that actually helps people do those kinds of collaborative books and reasonable investment, good opportunity for you. Second thing is I would strongly urge you, Marcus, to learn about the seminar business, to learn about public speaking. If you are involved in insurance, that lets me know that you have some background and experience with sales. Is that true? Yes. Good. Um, you, by the cold read and the look on your face, you don't love sales. I can tell that. And, and so in an effort to help you do something you love, I can either find something that doesn't involve sales or I can help you become really, really, really good at sales and then you'll love it. That makes sense? That does make a lot of sense. So you're out of Texas, correct? Yes, I am. You're out of Houston. Houston's one of my favorite cities. In fact, Houston's one of the cities that we've looked at potentially relocating because you have the benefits of no state income tax and you're also right. on the water. Yes. The only downside is I have not yet gotten an affection for hurricanes, so not quite there. <laughs> um, but the, the, the point I want to make is I want you to get to Turning Point. I'm going to give you two $3,000 tickets to come join me at Turning Point, totally free. Oh, my. Um, do you do you have a, a significant other? Do you have a partner? Um, I I can find someone. Good. Find a friend, find a partner, find a family member. I want you to bring somebody. I want the two of you to come together because it's always better to do that together. That way you have a sounding, you know, board and somebody to bounce stuff off of. The the thing that Turning Point's gonna do, it's gonna make you fall in love with selling. It's gonna make you fall in love with influence. You know, and it's kind of like any game, golf. I don't golf very often, so I suck. And so because I don't golf very often and I suck, I don't really care to do it a lot. I like golf, I'm just not good at it. The reason I'm not good at it is I don't do it very often. And nobody, I've, I've not taken any lessons. Nobody stopped and said, hey, if you would hold it this way or stand that way or you know, swing this way, your game would be infinitely better. Nobody's done that. So if somebody, if I were to hire somebody and I was really sincere about learning to be a better golfer, if I was to hire somebody and then start golfing, I would fall in love with it, I know, because I would get better at it. I want you to fall in love with sales. Ultimately, no matter what you do, whether you're a publisher, whether you're an author, whether you uh, you know are completely unrelated doing anything else, you want to learn how to speak and you want to learn how to sell in this circumstance, whether it's on screen or whether it's on a stage in front of live people, I want to teach you how to sell. Uh, what's the most amount of money you've ever made in a given year? Uh, 150000 Okay, That's good money. That's really good money, except not good for you. That's not what you want. Exactly. No. Now you want substantially more. And you know, and sometimes I was just talking to Cody about this. Sometimes being in a circumstance that's okay is worse mm -hmm. than being in a circumstance that's horrible. Because being in a circumstance yes. that's okay, sometimes we just sit in it. Whether it's okay, complacent relationships, marriages, whether it's complacent jobs and income, we just we we settle for it. And so there's nothing wrong with being uneasy. I tell people, when you come to Turning Point, it's gonna ruin you. There's three major things Turning Point's gonna do. Uh, everybody watching included. By the way, anybody that gets on the air with me today, I'm gonna give you two, two tickets to Turning Point. So if you wanna get on the air, let the studio know. Um, the first thing it's gonna do, it's gonna help you understand the topic Cody and I were talking about, and that is what is going on inside of your head that's stopping you? What, what are the that come up every time you seek to go out and do what you love because in an ideal world 
Tell me, what would you be doing, Marcus? If, if money weren't the issue, if success was absolutely guaranteed, what would you do? I'd be riding full time. Tell me more. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm really interested in business, and I would like to find a way to promote other people's businesses. Um, uh, that's always been a, an interest to me. Um, you know, like I say, I have many interests. I'm interested in real estate, um, um, just uh, many different things. I I, I think you can, I, th I think you can uh, make a million dollars doing anything if you just pick a path. There's a million ways to make a million dollars. And and if you're not yet a millionaire, you either haven't found it or you found it and you just can't take consistent action toward that thing because you're not certain. Good. That's true. Good. That's true. Well, I, I love what you just told me. You say you love helping people and and I can tell you got a good heart. You're you're very you were edifying in the chat before we got you on the air. You came here with a mission. You got here early to get on the air, and I know that. You got here early because you wanted to have this conversation. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to open up this conversation permanently. I'd like Marcus today to be the beginning of a lifetime relationship for us because I'd like to assist you in stepping in to your real self. And I think that's the question that, that anybody watching the broadcast right now and anybody that watches it in the replays, you got to ask, who were you on the day that you were born? Were you a pauper struggling to make money? Or were you a multimillionaire whose money had not yet been deposited in your bank account? You know, uh, I, I talked a bit about religion in the previous uh, portion of the program. And, and I was, you know, talked a bit about Christ. And my thing about Christ or any kind of figure in, in his history that's a religious figure is Christ didn't do miracles for the first 30 years of his life. Yeah, I, I don't care whether you're just looking at history or whether you believe Christ was the Savior and, and God, you know, incarnate. He didn't do any miracles for the first 30 years of his life. So what, he just got the miracle gene at 30? Or did he just realize who he was? And my belief is that's the circumstance, is that the moment we realize who we are, then everything changes. I said something in passing to Cody that I think everybody watching the broadcast should write down. And here's what you want to write. It was a glorious day for fools when modesty became a virtue. It was a glorious day for fools when modesty became a virtue. The reason that I tell people that is we're raised by the first hypnotists in our life, our parents, to hold certain beliefs. And unfortunately, most parents, in an effort to get their children to socialize and fit in, tell their kids, don't show off in front of the other children. Don't try to pretend you're better than they are. And I always had a challenge with that. From the time I was a kid, dirt poor, wearing my sister's clothes to school, hard to socialize. My brain always had this thought and this belief that I'm better than them. I am better than them. I'm smarter than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm more hungry than them. I'm more willing to work hard than them. I'm more than them. Now, that, that but the, follow that up with this thought, and they're going to put this on the screen, too. And thank you, uh, TG, for doing such a great job producing our show. we got a brand-new producer, uh, TG, in the studio. We also have AC in the studio. We are a studio of initials. Um, the, the second thing I want you to, to take note of is the distinction between confidence and cockiness is confidence allows for greatness in other people. It's not cocky for me to say I'm amazing. I'm awesome. 
I am a multi-billionaire whose money has not yet been deposited in my bank account. I'm the greatest hypnotist of all time. I am the leading broadcaster in the world. None of that is wrong for me to say, especially when I hold the belief that other people can be excellent too. This isn't a knock to them. It's simply a proclamation on my part. Most people are afraid to make that proclamation. If we don't make the proclamation, our subconscious mind can't pull it up from the files. If our subconscious mind doesn't pull it up from the files, all the evidence to support that statement, then we will never step into that reality. Three things we need to get anything we want in any area of our lives. Number one, we need self-mastery. Turning Point is going to help you create self-mastery. It's going to give you total control of your thoughts and emotions. Second thing you need are the proper tools for the task at hand. Every single outcome has specific tools that it needs for the task at hand. If today's Valentine's Day, my relationship with my wife is amazing, as good as it gets. She's the best decision I ever made in my entire life. And if I, if I, if I had it my way, that's all I would do the entire show is talk about my wife and my kids. That's how good it is. The thing though is that I, I needed to figure out what are the tools in relationship to have this relationship. And the number one tool of relationship is agreements. If you're calling me as you just did, and it seems to me your question is about business and money, the number one tool in making money, you must learn. There's no way around this. You got to learn this tool. You can get by and squeak by without it, except when you have this tool, you can thrive in any area you want to. You must learn the skills of irresistible influence. And, and for our purpose, I want to define irresistible influence very specifically. It's not learning sales. It's not learning persuasion. Irresistible influence, which we teach at Turning Point, is very different. Irresistible influence is speaking in such a way that other people beg you for what you're selling and have them believe it was their idea. <laughs> How awesome is that? They beg you for what you're selling and they believe it was their idea. That's influence. When my kids is downstairs and I've influenced them and my kid says, hey, you know what, dad, I'm going to go clean my room. I, I really want to have the discipline of a clean room. I'm going to clean my room. And I just smile and say, hey, that's a great idea. Uh, my wife, when we met, there were a thousand people in a seminar in Boston. And I saw this gorgeous woman four aisles back. And when I saw this woman, I said, I'm going to hypnotize her to come ask me out on a date. And she's not going to know I did it, and neither are the other thousand people in the room. And so I influenced her, and sure enough, she came up, asked me out on the date, and 17 years later, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> so the first thing is, is you got to master your mind. The second thing is you need the tools for the task at hand. But here's step three in getting anything you want. You must act as if success is certain. You got to take action in the present moment because tomorrow never comes. So three things you need, self-mastery tools and action in the present moment. The three things Turning Point teaches you, number one, I'm gonna teach you PND, psycho-neuro-duplication. How do you duplicate the psyche or thoughts, programs, and beliefs of someone succeeding in the area you want to succeed in? How do you gather up the proper tools for the task at hand? And then the second thing that Turning Point's gonna teach is specifically influence. I'm gonna devote an entire half day of the program and sprinkle it throughout the whole thing. I'm gonna devote an entire half day of the program though to irresistible influence. So by the time you leave there, you love it. It's a game. 
you say, wow, this is magic. I have tools now to inspire people in a way I never knew I could. Sales is easy. But then the third thing Turning Point's going to do to get you to take action in the present moment, and this is big, and this is something most people don't do. In fact, they usually work against this on purpose. The third thing Turning Point's going to do, it's going to turn up your wantingness. It's going to make you want a bigger life. It's going to make you dissatisfied with $150,000 a year. It's going to make you dissatisfied with a half a million a year. It's going to make you dissatisfied with a million bucks a year. It's going to make you savor the wanting as much as the having and consistently go for more. More is better. So I absolutely prescribe to you, Marcus. You got the look. You've got the demeanor. Uh, you apparently have the compassion, and I don't know you well enough, but just from our short conversation, I believe you love people to the degree that you could devote a life to helping them have better lives. And my recommendation to you is that you enter a profession that has to do with speaking and training and teaching, whatever that looks like, wherever that looks like. Uh, we had a call yesterday, somebody who loves sales and loves teaching people about sales. He's currently working for somebody else. But I told Thomas yesterday, you, you need to learn to be a speaker. Might that be an area you would be interested in? Uh, could be. That would be a, a hard no on your part. Tell me what your <laughs> resistance to being a speaker is. Um, well, I think I'm, I'm much better at the written word than I am uh, at the verbal. Uh, so I, I I don't, I lack confidence, I guess is the point of, that's it. of, being, that's all of right. being a speaker. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is, isn't it? Because you already said you communicate well. You said you like to write. Sure, I'll give you that. You said you communicate well in writing. Anybody that communicates well in writing communicates well this way. And the only thing that would stop them from communicating in person is confidence. Mm -hmm. So if I could instill inside of you unstoppable confidence, if I could make you know you're all that, if I could, I could have you believe you're too sexy for your red shirt on a core <laughs> level, would you be interested in having those programs put in your head? Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. Then that's it. Because I think, Tom, that a lot of people, Marcus, rather, a lot of people that choose what they do for a living, they choose it by default. Like what you just told me, I'm not really good at communicating to people in person. I'm way better in the, in the written word, you know, and I'm just not really confident. My amazing son, Sterling, I love my family so much. My wife told me yesterday that my son told her he was shy. I've never thought my son was shy. I, I mean, I, I've realized I, I, some people might call me shy, but I refuse to call myself shy. Yes, I, I don't say anything unless there's something to say. I'm not gregacious. I don't need to be the life of the party. When there's something that needs to be said, though, I say it. And I'm unafraid mm -hmm. to say it. And I'd like to train you because I'm positive. Mark my words. You're going to look back on this conversation, and you're going to say, Marshall opened up a vault door, literally, to me by helping me understand if you're a good communicator, Marcus, are you good as a writer? I am excellent as a writer. Wow. That's magic right there. You didn't hesitate there. You didn't go, hey, I'm okay. You said, no, I'm excellent. It took you a bit because you're still dealing with the humility thing and you got to let all that go. Uh, you are an excellent communicator. Communication equals wealth. We communicate in two ways, internally and externally. And what you need to work on right now is internal communication. And secondly, you need to work on the skills of selling and influence. When you are communicating well internally, 
and you're communicating well to the outside world, you will literally have everything you want. Hey, man, I'm glad you're on the show. You are in the running. Magic is magic. And, you know, sometimes people don't realize there's two types of magicians. One type of magician uses gimmicks and tricks to make what they have happen. The other kind of magician is my favorite kind of magician. And what they use is sleight of hand. They use manual dexterity to get done what they get done. Both of them should be admired. Both of them are artists. Both of them are doing things that are entertaining. The thing about the magician that practices sleight of hand, they're doing it partly for their own satisfaction. If I can show you a piece of magic that I can do with, you know, hours of rehearsal and sleight of hand, but I can do the same thing with a gimmick deck of cards, but I don't have to practice because the deck does the magic. It would be smarter for me to learn to use the gimmick deck because it's easier and it's the same outcome for my audience. But if my motivation is to be really, really good and an artist, I might take the sleight of hand path. My recommendation, don't take the sleight of hand path. Use the gimmick deck. Take the easy path. And for me, I know you, if, if I put you on a stage right now today, and I said, Marcus, I'm going to put you on stage. You got an hour. Uh, I'm going to, you got, actually, I'm going to have you be up there for 90 minutes. I'm going to pay you, though, $150,000 to be up there for 90 minutes. Could you do it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd find a way to do it, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, what if you got I on would. stage? What if right before you got on stage, you said to me, Marshall, I'm sweating bullets, man. I'm terrified. I, I, I you know, because I can see the tension in your face already, even at the thought of it. Marshall, I, I, I'm nervous. And all I said to you is, Marcus, I love you. Do me a favor. You're not going to die. Promise you, you're not going to die. Get on that stage for 90 minutes. I don't care if you fall flat on your face. I don't care if you bomb. I don't care about anything. I just need you to be on that stage talking for 90 minutes. Please do that for me. I'll pay you your money. You got to be on stage for 90 minutes. You could do it. Oh, yeah. Your concern is, your concern is I'm concerned about what other people think. Because I'm concerned about what other people think, you know, I don't want to get up there and embarrass myself. What if I don't have anything to tell them? What if they don't like the way I deliver this information? What if they judge me for the color of my shirt? Any number of things. I have this thing that I, I call the Marshall Silver Swagger. And that's after I train a speaker or a stage hypnotist or a performer, after I teach them and they go do their first event, they have this swagger thing that says, well, I'm better than Marshall Silver. I don't need him. I'm amazing. And all I can say is I'm a really freaking good teacher because that's exactly what a really good teacher would want their students doing. So I challenge you, Marcus, you're a speaker, you're a trainer, you don't even know it. And the last person that I had this exact conversation with ended up making more than a million dollars from their speaking coaching business inside of 12 months, the first 12 wow. months after I trained them. And then they went on to do all sorts of other things that were also highly successful. You're a speaker, you're a trainer, you may not even know that. I want you to talk to uh, Luke on my team. He's gonna get you registered for Turning Point. And he's also going to talk to you about how we can train you as a world-class speaker. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, you are I, want to thank, I want to thank you for, uh, for all that you do and in the lives of uh, all the people out there. Awesome, brother. Thank you, Marcus. Keep listening. Tell your friends to tune in because you may be the winner. We've only had time for about three calls today because my call with Cody went so well. But uh, you've got really good odds of potentially winning 10 ounces 
of pure Marshall Silver Silver. And I would like oh, that nice. a lot Yeah, I would like that a lot for you. So thanks for tuning in. Tell your friends. Do you have your affiliate link to tell your friends about the broadcast? No, I don't. How do I get that? Yeah, so they're going to run the, the scroll across the screen. It is Studio Live. Excuse me, studiomoney.info forward slash affiliate. Studiomoney.info forward slash affiliate. Sign up there. It'll email you back an affiliate link. When you share that affiliate link with everybody else, it codes them to you. And when anybody that watches the broadcast ends up coming to my seminars and buy something from our seminars, you get a 30% commission. So oh, it's, nice. a way to bless, it's a way to bless other people's lives and create a great side hustle at the same time. Fantastic. You are loved. God bless. Take care. Keep watching because, like I said, you may be the winner on today's program. So I'll talk to you soon. Take care, brother. I'm Marshall Silver. You are watching Marshall Silver Live. We are in the studio where every single day we bring you great content for the first portion of the show. And in the second portion of the show, we take your calls, just like we're doing right now with Marcus and the other people. And we help you solve your dilemmas and challenges in life. It's my way of giving back to a world that's been extremely generous to me, and I'd like you to be a part of it. Who is our next uh, guest on the show? Hello, Hello Marshall. Emily. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day to you. So where, where are you calling in from, Emily? I'm calling in from Irvine, California. I love Irvine. A lot of people don't know this. Irvine is where my hypnosis career started. Really? Yeah, there's a little place over by Jamboree Boulevard. And when I was performing there, it was a comedy club called The Laugh Stop. And I performed there for about a year. We took about a month and I had cut a deal with the comedy club. I went in on the slowest night of the week, Tuesday night, and I put my show in it. No, they didn't pay me a dime. But I said, what I want is I want the money collected at the door. And sure enough, very soon we started selling out. And I was making, at 24 years old, I was making about $15,000, $20,000 a night wow. just because I was willing to bet on myself. Uh, the club later became, it stopped being a comedy club and it became a strip club. And I worked there for a while, but then I felt kind of conscious. I, you know, I felt like I was embarrassing all the other guys. And so I'm joking. I never stripped. I never stripped. What? I know. I wouldn't believe so it. So what's the question today? <laughs> Um, so I have been recently diagnosed as neurodivergent. Um, and I've not heard of that. what does that mean? Um, basically I'm on the autism spectrum and I've also been diagnosed with depression. Mm -hmm. Um, so I also made the decision recently to walk away from a very significant research program that I was mm -hmm. a part of. And I heard from someone that your talks were life-changing and yes. I've, I've only watched a few of your videos and streams, but um, I wanted to know if you think your techniques can help neurodivergent people and me move forward for my life with my life, because this is, it was a very big, I suppose, speed bump for me quitting my research program. Yeah. I don't know what neurodivergent uh, means. So could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Um, basically, um, your brain, the way it processes things, you don't have the same executive functioning as a lot of people do. 
So like some people, they are able to manage tasks or like know exactly what order they need to do things. I tend to overthink things. I get a lot of anxiety, even with simple problems. It's, it's just a lot of executive functioning that you just don't really get. And there's also a lot of like stuff gets mixed up in your brain. It's difficult to communicate stuff like that. So what you're saying is you're human. <laughs> yes, I am human. <laughs> Hopefully. The, uh, the thing that I, I think about first and foremost, everything's hypnosis. And when we hear somebody in an authority position, tell us a truth, our mind wants to believe them, even the bad stuff. It wants to believe them because we have a very strong desire to know the truth. The challenge with that is that sometimes people with less cognitive ability than ourselves make judgments on our cognitive ability. Give an example. Um, I was labeled a, I would have been labeled ADD as a child. And I probably would have actually been labeled ADDDDDDDDD. When I was in the first grade, the teacher said that I told me as a first grader at six years old that I needed to be in special classes, that I, I couldn't stay in her class. I needed to move. And they moved me to a special special education class. Uh, in the special education class, there were kids in the class that had severe mental challenges, some in wheelchairs, uh, some unable to you know function and feed themselves, some unable to speak clearly. They had pretty specific and, and pretty uh, high level challenges mentally. Not like you, you're, you're just like me, not like you. Because we didn't have a phone and because my mother worked three jobs, I didn't want to tell my mother they had moved me to another class. I thought I was being punished. I thought I was, I was I, which I was, by the way, I was being punished for being too active in class. The reason I was too active in class is I was a genius and I would learn things very quickly. And so when the teacher would teach me something and I would learn it very quickly and she would keep teaching it, I would go into a tailspin. My brain would get frustrated that it was taking so long for them to explain everything to everybody else. Sound familiar? A little bit. <laughs> I know. So what happened was, though, I came home and one day I'm at dinner with my mom and my mom said, Marshall, what's wrong with your speech? I said, what do you mean? She said, you're slurring your words. I said, I, I don't understand what you mean. And she said, what has there been a change at school? Well, I knew I was in the corner and I had to tell her. I said, yeah, mom, they moved me to a new class a month ago. What new class? We're in a little town in Michigan. What new class? I said, they moved me into a special education class. I didn't want to tell you because I knew you'd be mad. What the heck? My mom took off work the next day, went into school with me in tow and said, what in the world did you just do? And they explained your son has a learning disability. He's got to be in these special education classes. All he does is fidget and disrupt the class the whole time. He, he, he's not controllable over here. My mother said he is not a special education student. My son's a genius and you're moving too slow for him. That's the challenge. My mother changed the frame. They put me back in class. On the other hand, my mom also told me those behaviors of being a constant class clown will get you in trouble. That behavior of jumping out of your seat and going and doing something else because you're bored because the teacher's moving slow enough to teach the slowest person doesn't work. So what strategy might work, Marshall? 
I said, mom, what if I became a student teacher? In first grade, I said, what if I became a student teacher? What if I taught the kids that aren't learning as fast after I learned it? And she said, I think that's a great plan. Go back to your teacher, tell her what you want to do. I went back to the teacher and I gave her my suggestion and she lit up. It's because she was frustrated. She didn't know what to do with me. She wanted to you know, take care of students. She was a teacher because she cared about kids. I went back and started teaching the other kids. My attention was grabbed immediately. So the first thing I want to tell you, uh, do not buy, Emily, into that BS and that label on any level. Do not think that because you're not happy with where you are, you're depressed. No, you're not happy in the circumstance. So you have had a lack of training on how to change the frame around thing things, experiences in general that would make you experience them differently. Is divorce a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's a good thing, but it depends on the situation. Yeah, if I'm married to the wrong person, it's a really good thing, right? So divorce is neither good nor bad. Thinking makes it so. Uh, are you in a relationship? I am. You have a boyfriend? I have a girlfriend. You have a girlfriend? Lovely. Your girlfriend bites you on the neck, good or bad? For me, good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It depends, doesn't it? It depends on how she bites it. It depends on whether or not you like being bit. <laughs> so that works. So my, my point in all this is you're not depressed. You have a bad habit of framing things in a way that you don't like. Because if, if things are happening the way you like, you never have a challenge with depression. The reason you have a challenge with depression is things happen in a way you don't like them to happen. And you are concerned that maybe that's just your lot and what you're going to have to put up with. Fair enough. Second thing is while I realize that titles are really useful for us to gain identity with, I also want you to be very careful of what title you inherit. And I want you to test at the very least letting go of telling anybody that you are neurodivergent or that you are have been diagnosed as being depressed, I want you to just stop saying it for a week. Fair enough? Just Fair one enough. week. Give me that. Okay. Uh, the second thing, though, is our brains are very much like a cup in that if the cup is half filled with poison, what's going to happen is if I drink it, I'll die. If I pour pure water into that cup and fill it up the rest of the way with pure water, now it's half poison and half pure water. If I drink it, I'll still die. If I keep pouring water into that cup, what will happen is it will displace the contents and the water will overflow along with the poison to the point where if I keep pouring really good, clean, pure, drinkable water into that glass, it's pure water. The poison's gone. Your challenge is much like what you've sought out. That's how smart you are. You said, I watched your videos. I had somebody refer uh, me to you, said that you're teachings, your lessons, your videos, your communication would change my life. And so a uh, depressed or, or frankly, a divergent person wouldn't go there. You did. So that lets me know you're not. You want more. A depressed person likes being depressed. You don't. That's the reason you got on this broadcast. That's the reason we're having this conversation. So one of the ways that I make transformation in my life when I don't yet feel like I've been transformed is I'll speak of a circumstance in a past tense. As an example, yes, I used to respond with depression. Now I realize this too shall pass. Yes, I used to get confused over simple things. I'm becoming more and more clear every single day. Your mind, the physical matter inside your skull is the same as mine. It's the same as Edison's or Tesla or Musk or Jobs or anybody. 
your mind, your brain is the same. The distinction is how you've trained your brain, how you've organically opened up certain neural pathways to be a path of least resistance inside of your D2 receptors. And because every thought sustained long enough creates an organic shift in the body, you sustaining thoughts of being confused or being depressed or feeling overwhelmed or any of those things, you sustaining those thoughts and going down that path long enough does indeed create an organic change in your brain. It opens up certain pathways and receptors to allow certain things to come through. And in this instance, it hasn't been what you've wanted. The challenge is because that thing is organic, organic the path of least resistance must be overcome. And what you've got to do is continually pour into that cup. And how you do that is with this broadcast, with this input, these kinds of conversations. You also sometimes have to either change the people you hang out with or change the people you hang out with. That's the only choice. You either have to find new people to hang out with or inspire the ones you're hanging out with to let go of their negativity. And then the final thing you've got to do is find reasons that are so big, you don't have time to be depressed. That are so big, you don't have time to take on labels that don't serve you. That are so big that your brain says, no, I'm not putting up with this. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to step into the greatness that is Emily. The greatness that I was born to be. The destiny I was designed to end up in. And when you learn how to do that, guess what? You win. Hey, you're in Orange County. You are a short hop from Las Vegas. How about you and your girlfriend come join me at Turning Point next month in Las Vegas, and you get a whole lot more of this. Tickets are normally three grand a piece. I'm giving you two tickets totally free. Thank you so much. I, you are very welcome. I'm, I'm so thankful. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for answering my question. Thank you for giving me advice, and I look forward to all of your shows and going to Turning Point. Yeah, me too. You are totally loved. So, Emily, mark your calendar. It's coming up the 11th of March. You're going to get to Vegas. We're going to spend two and a half days together. You and your girlfriend are going to love it. It's going to make you guys closer. It's going to help you understand how to take your relationship to the next level. And furthermore, it's going to show you how to start making some massive financial breakthroughs. And so much more. So I'm excited to have you and your gal as my guest. Thank you very much. And for everyone on Valentine's Day, you're all loved. Yay, I love it. Yes, you're loved too. Take care, Emily. You too. Bye now. Hey, we're wrapping up the show. It went by like a blink. Happy Valentine's Day. We've had two callers today. We had Marcus and we had Emily. I'm not going to choose. I'm going to let you vote in the chat today. We're putting a survey together so that we'll be able to survey you better for now. Um, you guys just determine, is Emily the most interesting conversation you heard or was Marcus the most interesting question you heard? You're going to vote. And tomorrow I'll give you the results of that vote. We'll tally up all of your posts on social media in the chat. So in the chat right now, before you go away, I want you to vote for Marcus or Emily to receive the 10 ounces of pure silver. Yeah, I forgot. I admit it. I forgot when I was talking to Cody because it was so much fun that I forgot to uh, give you hints for the secret word. And so I gave you a whole lot of hints when I had Marcus on and I pray you heard it. I started talking about magic. I started talking about manipulation. I started talking about doing sleight of hand. And if one of you had caught the clue inside of that, you would have realized that sleight of hand magic is using your digits and the secret word of the day 
was press the digitation. Press the digitation. Since nobody said press the digitation today, and I will certainly, I will certainly more hardcore <laughs> giving you clues in tomorrow's show that we roll over the six grand today to tomorrow and tomorrow $6,500 is up for grabs. Yes, we are going to keep putting the money up for grabs until it is won. KJ, you were very patient today. I realized we didn't get you on the air, so you'll be back tomorrow, and you will be my first caller guaranteed. Glad you're here. Hey, I'm Marshall Silver. This wraps up another edition of Marshall Silver Live. You are totally loved. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same bat channel. Make it an awesome day, and happy Valentine's Day. Bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.